Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Rob. You're watching The House Call. Thanks again for joining me. I'm so privileged to be able to hang out with you and talk about the greatest sport of all time. I'm talking about pro wrestling. I've got some nice Georgia. Uh, we, we, like, we like to drink Muscadine wine here. I like uh, white wines and I like sweet wines. I like Moscato and I like this Muscadine wine. And this comes from the Georgia winery right up the road. So I'll be having this tonight as we hang out and talk, uh, continue our stroll down memory lane. Mm. I love that. Hints of honey with sweet Georgia muscadines. You cannot beat it. Um, this week, our strolls down memory lane have taken us to 1986, where we are reviewing my assertion that 1986 was the greatest year in pro wrestling history. Of course, this is my opinion and mine alone. You may disagree, and that's fine. But I, uh, uh, I, uh, I just cannot help. That for me, like every year, even the years before this are a footnote. Like every year, it's like 1986 sits at the center. Every year before was leading up to it, and every year since, every year since has been looking back to it. Now, 1986 was a great year anyway, regardless of wrestling. It was the year of perestroika, uh, signaling the beginning of the end of the Cold War. Uh, Piper would like to know that Phantom of the Opera debuted as a stage musical in October of 1986 in London's West End. Uh, you had some of the greatest films, Top Gun, Platoon, Alien, that debuted at the box office. We Are the World won the Grammy for Record of the Year. My mother's favorite all-time movie, Out of Africa, won the Oscar for Best Picture. But in 1986, I don't care what area of culture you're talking about, musicals, sports, whatever, wrestling reigns supreme for at least 10 reasons, for at least 10 reasons. Now let's quickly review, real quick, uh, reasons 10 through six for those who missed the last episode. I said number 10 was the Sam Muchnick tournament in St. Louis, Missouri, which was won by Harley Race. Uh, number nine was the infamous uh, altercation uh, between Jim Cornette and Baby Doll. Number eight was WrestleMania two, headlined by Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy, at least in the LA uh, rendition of that. You had two other main events, uh, Piper versus uh, Mr. T in a boxing match in New York and uh, the dream team against the British Bulldogs in Chicago. And then uh, number seven was a world-class uh, wrestling association's third annual cotton extravaganza headlined by Bru uh, Bruiser Brody and Abdul the Butcher in the steel cage. And then, of course, number six was the inaugural Jim Crockett senior Memorial cup. If you just went with those reasons, that would be enough, but there's more much, much more. And on now to the top five reasons why 1986 was the greatest year in wrestling history. Number five, the Rock and Roll Express versus Midnight Express feud. We knew this was going to happen. The similarities between the two, not just the name, but the style, the the, the, the fact that they were quickly rising in their own areas, uh, you know, as being two of the great tag teams uh, ever. The Rock and Roll Express, of course, had defeated the Russians for the tag team championships, and this collision course seemed inevitable. Um, and uh, inspired by the success of WWF Saturday Night's main event, the NWA tried a, an experiment of its own, a supercard. Uh, comprised of dream matches that were selected by the fans. It was called Superstars of the Superstation. It was filmed in the historic Omni. And this would be the template for future endeavors, most notably Clash of the Champions. And this card was stacked. You had the Road Warriors and the Russians, always a major event. Dusty versus Tully, those had a tremendous feud. Flair versus Ronnie Garvin, again, one of the great feuds of the 80s. But the most important event that happened that night was when Jim Cornette's Midnight Express, Beautiful Bobby, 
and Loverboy Dennis, one of the most storied tag teams in the sports history, dethroned Ricky and Robert to win uh, the NWA World's Tag Team Championship. Now, what's shocking about this is that when I go back and think of Beautiful Bobby and Loverboy Dennis, I'm like, this is one of the greatest tag teams ever. Now, maybe Beautiful Bobby and Sweet Stan might have been the greatest version of this team, but Loverboy Dennis and Beautiful Bobby were pretty good. And it just seemed to me like they were always champion. I'm, just, I'm shocked. To, to when I think back and though they only held the world title one time and that occurred you know this year when um, February 2nd 1950, uh, 1986 1956 no, too much Moscato there February 2nd 1986 where they dethroned the Rock and Roll Express I remember watching this on Saturday with with uh, my mom, my mom, of course, she was, she was asleep on the couch, but I was watching. I didn't, we, we didn't have a lot of resources or monies. We had TBS, we had baseball, we had wrestling, and I had some old tra uh, transformer action figures that I inherited and I had ascribed personalities to them and had turned them into, you know, the Decepticons or the Midnight Express and the Autobots were the Rock and Roll Express. And I remember, you know, playing this match as this match was going on before me, just sure that the Rock and Roll Express would win. Uh, and when the Midnight Express won the title in this legendary match, I literally cried. I explained to my mom, you don't understand the Rock and Roll Express. They've held the belt for so long now. And, uh, uh, you know, I was brokenhearted. But uh, this match remind I mean, this for me is one of the great tag team matches. I guess it has an emotional connection to me. But uh, this match set up the perennial feud. I mean, Jim Cornette was given the Rock and Roll Express hell for years. And it started really, uh, as far as Crockett Promotions goes, it started on this night, February 2nd, 1986. The number five reason why 1986 was the greatest year uh, in wrestling history. Number four, Starcade 86. There have been many great Starcades. Starcade 83 may be the greatest of them all. But this one was unique. It was unique not only in the fact that it was just a stacked card because all the Starcades were stacked. I mean, this one you had uh, Tully versus uh, Dusty. Again, anytime you had Tully and Dusty link up, it was a major event. You had uh, the Rock and Roll Express versus uh, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Ole and Arn Anderson. Uh, Ric Flair and Nikita Koloff wrestled in a legendary match. Um, this is an infamous match because of something that happened to Nikita, uh, which we won't go into here, but, but that you know it was a great match but of course the 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 you know you had the uh the paul jones uh army paul jones's army and jimmy valiant were at the peak of their feud and in this match uh jimmy valiant wrestled uh paul jones in a hair versus hair match and paul jones of course lost that match and had his head shaved um you had wahoo mcdaniel against rick rude in an indian strap match this card was stacked but the match that defined this, the, the match that gave this event its name was the Scaffold match. Um, the Night of the Skywalkers, the Midnight Express versus the Road Warriors. Now, a lot of people think that this was the first Scaffold match, and it wasn't. It wasn't even the first Scaffold match in the NWA. You had Scaffold matches going back as early as 1971, where Jerry Jarrett uh, faced Don Green. You had uh, a, a uh, Mid-South uh a Mid-South Championship Wrestling Scaffold match, the Rock and Roll Express versus the Midnight Express. This was not the, the first uh, scaffold match by any measure, but it was certainly the greatest, and it, it remains the greatest. And there have been scaffold matches since, but this one was the one that took the cake. And, of course, we all remember the, the scene at the end where 
you know, uh, Jim Cornette's being chased up the scaffold and there he is in the middle, notoriously afraid of heights. And he'll tell you that like in for real, he's afraid of heights. And there he is in the middle of the ring with a road warrior on either side. He finally, you know, uh, seeking in his escape, he grabs onto one of the brackets uh, underneath the, the underside of the scaffold and he hangs there and he hangs there and he hangs there until he falls and bust out both, the, both of his knees for real. Like he legit injured himself. And uh, that match, that card was one of the most epic cards of all time. And it is the number four reason why 1986 was the greatest year in pro wrestling history. Number three. Oh my gosh. We're getting into some high territory now, guys. For, for me, you got to remember, this is at the height of the cold war. Now true. I just said perestroika was happening, but we were still afraid. I mean, we grew up afraid that the Russians were going to bomb us or we were going to bomb the Russians or something. And we were just going to, I remember, I think Superman four came out that year and, uh, the whole premise behind that was the arms race. It might've been, it might've come out a year before or after that. It was right around that time frame. But the stigma of the Cold War permeated this era of the 1980s, this period of the 1980s, the mid 80s. And, uh, and it always played out in wrestling. I mean, you had in the WWF, you had Nikolai Volkov and uh, the Iron Sheik forming a tandem, you know, representing the Eastern Bloc and the Warsaw Pact. And of course, in the uh, NWA, you had the Russians, Ivan Koloff, Nikita Koloff, Don Kornodo at one point, and uh, Crusher Khrushchev. And uh, anyway, uh, Nikita Koloff emerged as a challenger to Magnum TA's United States title. Magnum TA had, had, had uh, won the championship from Wahoo McDaniel, um, and uh, he uh, had had a, a, a very gruesome I Quit match against Tully Blanchard, in which Tully Blanchard never uttered the words I Quit by the way, but, uh, you know, Magnum TA's trajectory was very, very high, and he was considered uh, the future heir to Ric Flair, but at this point, he held the U.S. championship, which was considered the stepping stone, the number one contender to the title, and Nikita Koloff emerged as a threat to Flair's title, but he had to go through Magnum first, and I remember a contract signing, and NWA president Bob Geigel was there, and in this contract signing, Nikita Koloff insults Magnum TA's mother. Magnum TA's mother was there at the contract signing. Uh, Nikita goes on and on about how, why he needs his mama there. Is he a mama's boy that in Russia, a woman knows her place and men do things on their own. It was very misogynistic, but it riled Magnum TA up. Magnum TA jumps across the table. He pummels Nikita Koloff and they have this big feud. Of course, Ivan comes in and helps out and they get the better of Magnum that day. Bob Gold, uh, Bob Geigel, excuse me, Bob Geigel, uh, uh, vac doesn't vacate. He he holds up the U.S. title. So Magnum TA hasn't lost the title, but the title is to be determined in a best of seven series um, for this championship. It wasn't the first best of series. It wasn't last. But again, just like the scaffold match, this one set the tone. And for me, you know, the the uh, seven levels of hate. Uh, series is like that. They all harken back to this legendary series. And Nikita Koloff goes up three wins to nothing. He is one win away from winning it all. Just like the Braves were one win away from going to the World Series this year. Nikita Koloff wins those three first matches and then he chokes, setting up a decisive match seven. August the 17th, 1986. This is right at the conclusion of the uh, Great American Bash, which we'll talk about here sh uh, shortly. And uh, Nikita Koloff defeats Magnum TA uh, for the championship. Now, Nikita Koloff, by the way, one of the most scary 
uh, intimidating athletes in the world would go on to become one of the most beloved athletes. His, his wife, Mandy Koloff, of course, died tragically. Um, and uh, that served as the impetus for him to make a, uh, a, a, uh, a turn of perspective and philosophy. And he becomes one of the great heroes uh, in later years. But in 1986, that was not the case. He was the scourge of the United States. He was indeed the Russian nightmare. And on August the 17th, 1986, the unthinkable happened. Nikita Koloff became the United States heavyweight champion, defeating Magnum TA. And the final seventh match, the decisive seventh match in a best of seven series, the, the series, one of the great events of all time could easily be number one on this list if it were not for two others, okay? And that brings us to number two, the Great American Bash Tour. This was not just going to be a supercar like Starcade or WrestleMania or the Bunkhouse Stampede or the Crockett Cup or what have you. This was going to be an entire tour. And uh, it would go, go on for a month. And Ric Flair would defend this title every single night of the tour. Uh, the cities on this tour were Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., <clears throat> Memphis, Charlotte, Cincinnati, Roanoke, Jacksonville, Richmond, Fayetteville, Johnson City, Norfolk, Greensboro, and Atlanta. <clears throat> and the challengers to Ric Flair's title included Ricky Morton, Road Warrior Hawk, Road Warrior Animal, Ronnie Garvin, Nikita Koloff, Robert Gibson, Magnum TA, Wahoo McDaniel, and of course, uh, Dusty Rhodes. You also had the feud between the Road Warriors and the Midnight Express, Baby Doll and Jim Cornette playing out. You had Nikita Koloff and Magnum TA uh, had uh, several of their best of seven matches playing out during this particular tournament. And of course, all the stars of the uh, NWA and Crockett promotions were, were, um, were featured in this, maybe the greatest wrestling tour of all time, the greatest defense of the NWA title. Like, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 times in less than 30 days, Flair would defend it success successfully 12 times <clears throat> or excuse me i guess 11 times he would lose it on the 12th we'll get to that in a minute i don't think a feat like that has been accomplished and i may be over speaking here and may just be uh, be being a little bit melodramatic and nostalgic but <clears throat> you'd have to go all the way back to the aldous crusade or up to the aldous crusade to find a greater a tour of the nwa title uh in such a short span of time under such high stakes the Na the uh national wrestling alliance's great american bash so the number two reason why 1986 was the greatest year of all time was the nwa's great american bash summer tour now before we get to number one i do want to hand out a couple of honorable mentions because there were several events that could easily have made this list they deserve to make this list and they show how well-rounded this year was and how important it was and my third honorable mention is going to go to nick bockwinkle winning his final awa championship now guys when you think about the American Wrestling Association, obviously you think about Vern Gagne. He is the he is the perennial champion, but Nick Bockwinkel is right up there. I mean, the, it's similar to like looking at the uh, the NWA and saying who's the greatest, who's the perennial guy. Obviously, you got Luth is, but then you got Harley Race, you got Dory Funk Jr., you got Flair. Today, you got all this. You can, they're indispensable, and you you can't have the NWA the way we conceive it without those names, and you cannot have an AWA without Nick Bockwinkel. Let's put it in perspective. Obviously, Vern Gagne held the championship more than anybody else in that promotion. He held it for 10 days, 4,677 combined days. The number two 
was Nick Bockwinkel for rains uh, for 2,990 days. The longest rain that was ever held or that ever uh, that we ever experienced in AWA was Vern Gagne's historic uh, 2,626-day rain. Let me put my glasses on here and make sure I'm reading this my notes correctly here. Sorry, I'm getting old. 2,625 days. I'm just quibbling here, but the longest rain in AWA history, one of the longest rains of all time. Second largest rain, second longest rain, Nick Bockwinkle. Nick Bockwinkle ended the longest rain in St. Paul, Minnesota on November the 8th, 1975, defeating Vern Gagne, and he would go on to rain for 1,714 days. So these two are ex extremely important. And uh, you cannot overstate uh, their role in the success and the legacy of that promotion. And Nick Bockwinkle would have four, you know, four uh, reigns at the pinnacle at the mountaintop in the AWA. And his fourth one began in 1986 it would end in 1987 and this is not by any stretch his greatest reign again his greatest reign uh came in uh, 75 when he dethroned Vern Gagne but this was Nick Bockwinkel's final send-off he would reign for uh the rest of the year and um uh, he, he he was given the championship or, uh, uh after Stan Hansen was stripped of the championship and then he uh, reigned uh for nearly a year losing the belt to Kurt Hennig uh, in 1987, and shortly thereafter, Nick Bockwinkle would ride off into the sunset, retire as one of the greats of all time. But honorable mention, honorable mention number three, the final reign of Nick Bockwinkle. Honorable mention number two, I've got to say this. We mentioned in, uh, uh, in uh, the beginning of this episode that we often think of the uh, Midnight Express, Loverboy Dennis and Beautiful Bobby as one of the great tag teams of all time, and they, they are. And you would think that they had all these championships, these world titles. So they had the one NWA Tag Team Championship that they won from the Rock and Roll Express. Similarly, when we think of um, we think of the WWF, we think of the British Bulldogs as being one of the great tag teams. Obviously, the Hart Foundation, the Dudleys, uh, Edge and Christian, uh, and those and you know Edge and Christian. I think the Dudleys have more tag teams than any. But then those those tag teams like the British Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation, one championship, two for the Hart Foundation. But they are considered the greats. And I remember just loving the British Bulldogs. They would have that, they were short, stocky guys. They had that snap suplex that was so quick. They could, they were ground fighters, they were high flyers, they could do it all. And they had that legendary feud with uh, the dream team of Greg Valentine and Brutus of Barber Beefcake, which would come to a head at WrestleMania number two. Now, remember, we said earlier that in 1986, WrestleMania two came from three cities New York, Chicago, and uh, LA and uh, in mid-America Chicago they played host to this tag team epic between the dream team and the British Bulldogs and the British Bulldogs came out with their first and only world tag team championship and that is your honorable mention number two in 1986 the British Bulldog winning the WWF world tag team championship at WrestleMania number two and my honorable mention number one before we get to our final reason was simply this Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Now, again, I said it earlier, it, it may be in the, uh, the first part of this two-part series, that for me, growing up, PWI was like a sibling. I 
consult, I hung out with them. I would read them, reread them. They were by my bedside. I did not dare. I cherished them. I still have many of them. Eventually gave some away and all that. And I have a bunch of them hanging on my walls. And, and 1986 was just the greatest year for PWI. It had the greatest, most iconic covers. Now, not the most iconic cover. The most iconic cover of all time was in 1984, the April edition with uh, Ric Flair holding Sweet Charlotte on the cover. That is the issue for me. Uh, but 1986 had some of the most iconic covers. You had the the cover with Hulk Hogan. You had the cover uh, with uh, Mike Von Erich. You had the cover with um, the Road Warriors. The one with uh, Randy Savage. The one with Nikita Koloff. The British Bulldogs. The Rock and Roll Express. Dusty Rhodes with the uh, the big gold around his waist. But the greatest cover, one of the most iconic covers ever was that Achievement 85 issue that came out of March. And this is the one with the Road Warriors Hogan and Flair on the cover wearing their red PWI shirts. I wish I was wearing my PWI shirt now. I wore it on the last episode. Um, holding the plaques. And I remember Flair talking about, you know, coming up to receive his Wrestler of the Year award in blue jeans. And, you know, this is a man who wears suits. He wears business suits, custom-made suits, alligator shoes, custom-made Rolexes. He doesn't walk around in, in, in uh, jeans. But he said, I'm going to show up this time wearing jeans so you can all see what a real man looks like. And for me, that magazine is one of the two or three most iconic covers of all time. Honorable mention, number one, why 86 was the greatest year was simply because of the publication Pro Wrestling Illustrated and what they were putting out on their cover and inside those glorious pages. And now we get to the number one reason why 1986 was the greatest year in the history of pro wrestling. We already said, alluded to it, that we had that great American Bash tour where Flair is defending the title successfully. The goal was to defend it 13 times in 30 days, and he made it to match number 11. Now, he had gone through uh, Road Warrior Hawk. He'd beaten Dusty. He'd beaten Nikita. He'd beaten Ricky Morton in a steel cage. He'd beaten Robert Gibson. He'd beaten Wahoo McDaniel on... Uh, July the 22nd, he took a little detour to Montreal, beat Rick Martel in the midst of this. And then there was that night in Greensboro, North Carolina, the greatest match of all time, 1986 PWI match of the year inside the steel cage, the match that defined, that summed up the classic great feud between perennial opponents. I'm talking about Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes in the steel cage. Uh, Dusty in those black trunks, Flair coming out in that silver and sequin robe with the purple trunks, the purple boots inside the cage. I was absolutely certain that Flair was going to run the gauntlet successfully, but that was not to be. On this night, July 26, in Greensboro, North Carolina, Dusty Rose dethroned Ric Flair to win his third and final NWA World's Heavyweight Champion in one of the greatest matches, in my opinion, the greatest match ever wrestled by two human beings. And there you have it, folks. I'm not just out here making blind assertions. I'm spitting facts. The AWA, World Class, the WWF, and the NWA each collaborated, not necessarily deliberately, but they all collaborated to bring us perhaps the greatest year in the world's greatest sport. I didn't even touch on the UWF the World Wrestling Council, what was going on in the Pacific Northwest, Stampede. I didn't even touch those. I didn't even mention 1986 was some of the most important uh, days because they gave us some of the most important birthdays. Guys like Seth Rollins, uh, Serena Deeb, Charlotte Flair, Dalton Castle, Enzo Amora, 
uh, Nick Aulis, of course, the most important of all being the lovely Tanya Stinson. I didn't bring any of that up, but I didn't have to. Without a doubt, 1986 was the greatest year. Every year before and every year since has been a footnote. Convince me otherwise. This is Dr. Stinson. This is the house call and you're in good hands. We'll see you next time.